Now, this is going to be the final sermon on, message on the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you didn't think I'd ever get there? Amen. Part 35, if you're take, keeping count. You say, man, how can you talk 35 weeks on three chapters? It's pretty easy, evidently. Huh? Yeah, that's me. Just give me something and I'll run with it. And I could probably go back and do 35 more. Because there's so much in this message, I can't even understand it. Jesus was such a, did so much in such a short time. And I know some of you are saying, why don't you adopt that? <laughs> How long does it take you to read three chapters? Not very long, huh? <laughs> ten minutes, maybe. And I can do 35 hours on, ten, on the three chapters. <laughs> but I don't have that gift. And I know that if you, you wouldn't want to come here for for a sermonette, would you? I don't like sermonettes. I like sermons. I like something that's a little long that I can kind of get more stuff in different variations. And that I like that. And I guess that's why I break down these messages so much is because I want to get something out of more of it than, than maybe just barely reading. So Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Therefore, remember when you see a therefore, you got to look and see what it's there for. That's good biblical understanding. You want to know the Bible? Look for the key words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now we know that the whole chapter, these whole chapters of the Sermon on the Mount was one message that he preached to the crowds. I mean, he went through the Beatitudes. He gave us the attitudes we're supposed to be. Now, these attitudes are for believers. And you have to take them in context. I mean, we like to have the one, oh, blessed are the poor and spiritful, they shall be whatever. You know, we like those because we like to fill in the gaps with what we want. Blessed are the merciful, so they shall obtain mercy. So we're trying to do those things on our own. But the reality is it's a progression. The Sermon on the Mount is a progression. First of all, you have to believe in God. A lot of people get in trouble with Christian principles because they get them out of order. They try to do stuff on their own. We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. Because you've got to do things in a certain process or you miss it. You've got to do the steps. And the steps are you've got to find Christ. That's the beginning of everything. Because if you don't get that, you're not going to get anything else. And so he, he emphasizes that. You have to become a believer. Then you'll have the attitudes develop in your life that you need. We can't force ourselves to be merciful. We can't force ourselves to do certain things because normally we're not. Our, the way that we are, we are against everything. We don't want to help anybody. We don't want to do anything. But God, when he comes into our life, he changes us. And all of a sudden, these things just happen just like a seed that you plant. If you plant a, a seed, it grows if you take care of the seed. 
You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go out there and pound on the ground and say, grow, grow. Don't have to do that, do you? And sometimes I like to try that. We work if it works. But it doesn't. There's a process that God has, and he, he, when we come to him, he plants that seed in our life, and then it starts to grow. The more we allow God to water it, and how do we water it? We water it through his word, reading his word. We water it through coming to church and Bible studies and everything that we can to learn more. That's how, we, that's how God waters it. If you're trying to just go to once a week, hear a message, and that's it, you're not going to grow. You will well, you'll grow the bad, wrong direction. <laughs> you may grow out on the ground like a weed, but God wants you to grow like a rose, a flower, without the, without the thorns, though. Thornless rose, that's what we want. <laughs> but we don't have to do anything about it. God does it within us. And people, they sit there and they grab a hold of this. Well, I like this, but I don't like this. God says we have to take it all. And then he went through everything that he went to through there. I don't, I don't have time to review the whole Sermon on the Mount. You're a light on a hill. Don't hide your light. All the kind of things that we went through during that thing. It's a process. And now he gets to the end of that message, and now he starts wanting an answer from us. What are you going to do with that message? And now Jesus used parables to help people understand his message. And uh, put up that next slide, please. A parable is a short, short story that uses familiar events to illustrate a religious or ethical point. A story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. Jesus is using a parable to teach about building for eternity, not building a physical house. A parable is a religious word. Can't find it anywhere else. And it always has a religious message. Now, I use stories sometimes to try to emphasize my point, to try to relate that point to something that we can understand. Now, remember that everything that Jesus said, the people understood what he was relating it to because it was their life. Now, we can do that with uh, modern-day examples. I know that we like the, you know, the Bill Cosby himself, and he talks about all growing up and how life was. And it's funny. Why is it funny? Because it's life, and we get it. <laughs> But it's a point across. And we use those examples to help understand that. Well, that's what Jesus did. He took, a, took an example and he applied it to a godly principle for them to understand. So if we can't understand something, we need to ask God to help us understand it. Sometimes we lose so much because when we read God's word, we don't bother to ask him, say, hey, speak to me through this, this word today. Help me to understand it. If you don't understand it, that's when you go back to, and go into it and get some research on that, on that verse. There's so much available today. Man, I'd have loved to have this stuff available when I went to Bible college. I would have loved to have been able to do this. We had a library, and I had to go down there and physically look through all these books, trying to get all this information and turn it in. Because every class required a thesis from every, every class, every semester. We had to do a thesis. Now, how many know what a thesis is? It's a long paper trying to explain something that sometimes is unexplainable. <laughs> I, one of the assignments was uh, to explain the virgin birth. I had to do a thesis on that. Now, that's hard. <laughs> it doesn't sound easy, and it wasn't. I have to get it out and see what I said, but, you know. And I hated it, too, because when I did this stuff, they took off for typos. You know, and it was hunt and peck, you know, type thing. I took type in school, but I wasn't good at it anyway. And I made all these mistakes, and I got tired of starting over and all the whiteout and stuff, and finally I got tired of it. Because I'm so more focused on the typos than I am when I'm trying to put in. 
So anyway, good, good grades, in case you're wondering, even with all the typos. But those are hard to do sometimes. And uh, I wish I'd have taken more of those classes. <laughs> but uh, we need to understand that Jesus is using this for us to understand something that happened that they could understand. And, of course, we can understand this. Um, Jesus is using a parable to teach us about building for eternity, not a physical house. God, or Jesus, wants us to build for eternity because that's the only thing that's going to last. Eternity is forever. This physical house and this any house that you see is just temporary. Uh, next slide, please. Some things we notice about this peril is that, first of all, both men had access to the same materials. Both men had a choice as to where and how to build their homes or lives. Only one man's house stood while the other man's house collapsed in the storm or judgment. The difference between what these men built was in the foundations. We have a whole world today that is available the same information that you have. They can use the information or reject it. That's their choice. But they don't get to uh, choose the result of that choice. See, people want to choose, but they want to choose the result of that choice, and you can't. Only God gets to tell you what the result of that choice is. And if we haven't chosen Christ, we're lost, and our house will fall. So we need to look at that. Now, when we started on the building here, I don't remember whether you remembered or not, but we put the foundation in, or we dug the holes for it, and I'm not kidding, that was a lot of work. Had to make these, well, we made these, firstly made these, uh, trenches about this big, and then we had the big rain, remember all the rain, caved everything in, so now the tent trenches are like this. <laughs> Putting the wood in there and pouring the foundation and everything that we had to do. It was a lot of work. It's hard digging that, kind of, that stuff out. And then you put uh, all this road base down to make it hard as a rock, and then you put all the rebar in, and, and I'm not kidding you, there's a lot going into that, that building out there that you can't see. Something you can't even see now because it's hidden under that building. But that building is attached to that foundation. It's going to take a big, heavy wind to get rid of that building out there. I had uh, years ago, uh, when we first, kind of when we first got here, a guy down the road from us built a um, barn, if you will, some place for the horse or a garage and a thing for the horses. And uh, he put a lot of work into it. And I went by there and I saw Randy. I said, man, this guy's stupid. He doesn't have anything secure in those, those trusses or the things on the ground. It, nothing. It was just shocking to me because we've done enough building that I know how to put a building together. So I sit there and I said, man, that's crazy. So sure enough, big wind came. The whole thing fell apart. And they, you don't get to use it again. If you're building something and the wind takes it out like that, you throw it away and start over because it's not good. They will not give you a permit for that. And uh, so it's quite an extensive process, expensive. We had to go buy a permit. Then we had to uh, submit engineered drawings so they, the engineer can decide <clears throat> in relationship to this kind of soil, what do we need to do? Then we had to uh, do the things that was required. And that's kind of what being a believer is, isn't it? We come to Christ. We have to there has to be a, uh, some kind of payment for what we're going to get because there's always some payment. The difference is, are we going to pay it or are we going to accept what Christ paid for it? See, he paid the price for a building permit. And he provided the foundation. He provided all that stuff. All we got to do is connect to it and we'll be strong. Pretty simple. 
But then uh, these two people that were there, they didn't want to do that. They couldn't see. The one guy couldn't understand why it was, why do that? Why go through all that work and all that time to go down and dig to find, till you find bedrock to build your house on it? It seemed stupid to him. It seemed, seemed like a waste of money till the storm came. And when the storm comes, then you find out how you built your building, what you attached it to. That's when you find out, and, and that's not a good way to find out, is it? I don't want to find it out when I've, it's too late. <clears throat> now, in this text, Jesus tells us about one that only one of these guys went through the effort to build it properly. And we have building inspectors today because people still do that. They'll throw something up. It doesn't matter. They don't care. That's why we have building inspectors to come and inspect your work. You don't just get to put up something. You have to have a building inspector come and verify that you did it right. And they have to sign off on it. And when they sign off on it, they're putting their, their guarantee that it's going to reach whatever it is that happened. So if we had a storm come in that happened and he signed off on something that was supposedly good and it wasn't, he's liable. Building, building inspectors, that's why they're so hard on you. Because they want to make sure that you do it right. And we, we don't like the hassle of it. It's a hassle waiting for a building inspector to come. It isn't so bad here. They're, pr- they're pretty quick. But when we was in Colorado trying to get something done, it was really hard for them to come out. And they check everything, check the plumbing, and they check everything that you do. And that's good because it makes sure that the house is going to survive. So even though we don't like it, it's necessary. Now, only the foundation is attached to the rock is going to survive. And if we're attached ourselves to the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, then we can survive. We may not think we can, but we will. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> every ambition, thought, and action that we have is a building block that has to meet code. And who determines the code? God determines the code. And he writes it on our heart if we want to listen. Sin will keep us from this book, or will this book will keep us from sin. This book will help us with those building processes that we have. And every day we're building something. We're all building something. Whether we're going to build it according to code, God's code, or we're going to build it towards our own code. That's something we have to decide every day. Now, this applies to a long, lifelong process. It's not just one and done. See, if it was just one and done, man, that'd be good, wouldn't it? See, Jesus is telling us that hearing isn't enough. We have to do. Some people think that, hey, man, I want that church, and I said this little prayer, and now I'm good to go. Doesn't matter what I do from now on. Where do you find that in here? It isn't in here. You don't just say a little prayer, and that's it, because your faith is in the prayer, not in Jesus. So you can have all the faith you want in that prayer, but I'll keep my faith in Jesus. Sure, we say a prayer because it's to Jesus, but my faith isn't in the prayer, it's in Jesus. Knowing that when I come to him and ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive me. And we have to do that a lot. Anyway, I do. Maybe you're better off than I am. I can't believe some days, man, I just want you to let me go through one day without doing something wrong. (laughs) I know that you're, you're not like that, but, you know, I sit there. And it's just sometimes it's just a little attitude we have. We see someone and automatically we're, we're judgmental. Or we, we, we do something and, man, where did that come from? It's kind of weird the way that we are, isn't it? So every day we have to struggle with those things. Every day we have to ask God, help me to re- meet your code today. Let me build something that's good. And sometimes 
We meet people, and we're the only gospel people are ever going to read. And we want to make sure that when we meet people, we meet them with a good attitude because that one conversation that you have could be life-saving. You may not think it at the time. And we're really going to be amazed when we get to heaven and Jesus is going to stand before us, we're going to stand before him, and he's going to show us all these little things that we thought were insignificant that how he used that to get so many things in other people's lives. Now, we don't know, we won't know that until we get to heaven. You know, sometimes we think, well, I don't ever influence anybody. My life doesn't matter at all. Yes, it does. Because we're a body. I, it doesn't matter which part of the body you are. I know sometimes we like to, like to be some of the bigger, more important parts. But it, maybe we're a finger. That, you know, that's even better, a hand or whatever. We like that kind of stuff. We like the things that, are, that we, we deem as important. But it's the things that we can't see that are more important. Try to live without a heart or a head. <laughs> Some people, sometimes I think people are living without a head. <laughs> or at least, at least without any common sense. I pray God just give them common sense. You wonder what happened to them. They grow up and I'm not kidding you. They throw common sense out the window. And you can't talk to them. It's amazing to me that you can't. You just can't. It so, seems so simple. But... It's complicated to them. So, <clears throat> but their faith, if we put our faith in a prayer and said in Christ, when something happens in our life, a problem, our house is going to crash because it isn't the foundation. Our foundation is the prayer, not Christ. And we have to build upon the solid rock, and Jesus is the rock. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built a house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew, and the beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it is a foundation on the rock. Now, wise builders hears Jesus, who is the rock, and attaches their foundation to it and builds on it, builds a life on it. And we can do that, and we can have a good life as a believer. I know the world out there, they look at our lives and they think, oh man, why do you want to get stuck with all that religious stuff? Well, I don't like all that religious stuff either. I can't live a religion. I tried for many years trying to live a religion. Trying to do just enough of good things during the day to weigh, outweigh the bad things. That's the way the world thinks. That's my, that was my religion. And I just go to church, put in my time. Okay, God, I've been here. Oh, man, when are they ever going to shut up? I know you probably said that this morning, but... <laughs> You know, because I was trying to live a religion, and it's so hard, you can't do it. Religion is man's attempts to reach God, but the cross is God's attempt to reach man. And it's so simple that we just stumble over it. But I can live a relationship. The difference is people can act like, live like they're married if they're not married. They can't, can they? You've got to have a relationship with somebody to be married, don't you? And when you're married, it's easy to have that relationship because you're married. Well, that's what religion is, trying to live a relationship without any rela- a religion without any relationship. You can't do it. You'll fail. Jesus came so we don't have to fail. And we can go to him and we can talk to him about anything we want. And I talk to God a lot about everything. I mean, of course, you're probably not like me. I mean, to me, all the, the, the little things or whatever that I think is a big deal. <laughs> Sometimes it's not. But I look at it like this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. And it, those are the things you should pray about. You pray about everything. The problem that we have sometimes is we think we can handle the little things, but we can't. And those little things, they build up, and they build up, and they build up until pretty soon everything just explodes, and you wonder what happened. Well, what happened was you didn't take care of the little things. 
The big things very rarely trip up a Christian. Very, very rarely. I know there are uh, uh, serious things that happen to people that do. But it's the little things that accumulates that usually gets us. Because we think, hey, I got this one, God. You can take care of that one. I got this one. And every time you say, I got this one, you're going to fall. That's pride. And pride comes before a fall. It's amazing how that gets us. But it was a downfall about everybody. It started in the garden. Pride. Pride got them kicked out of the garden. And pride will get you kicked out too. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a great thing that we can just come to God with, with those issues. Matthew seven twenty six and 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now the foolish man hears. See, there isn't a problem with his hearing. He just rejects it. See, people have a problem with Christianity because they do hear, but they don't want to do what it takes to have that foundation. So they build their house on their own way of doing things. I'm going to do it my way. Oh, that was a great song. We love that. I did it my way. Wow. Really? God says, I wanted you to do it my way. And that's what we have a problem with. That's our part of our religion. That's the sand that we're building our foundation on. We're building on our own effort, on our own good works, on the things that we can do. That's what we're building our house on. And that's sand. And when the storm comes, it will fall. When judgment comes, it will fall. Because we're not building on the rock. We're building on the things that we think we should do. Now, I, I, there are a lot of things that I do because I want to please God. But a lot of things I don't want to do. That's the biggest thing that problem that people have with Christianity. They don't understand all the things you give up to be a believer. I didn't have to give up anything to be a believer except my sin. Now, if I don't want to do something anymore, did I give it up? That's a concept that people can't understand. I want to live for God. I want to do things the way he wants me to do them. And they say, well, man, why do you have to go to church all the time? And I had a friend of ours ask that, me that. And I said, I don't have to. I get to go to church. Now, that's a great big difference. The world that we live in, man, people in China, they'd love to be able to sit in this service this morning. Or the people in Iran would love to sit in this service this morning. We are so blessed. We get to come to church. And you don't have to worry about somebody coming in here. And attacking us. Well, you might have to worry about it a little bit. I mean, <laughs> because of the world we live in. But generally, we're safe. People aren't going to come in here and, and cut off our head just because we're a Christian. We don't have to usually worry about that. But those Christians do. And they would love to have the opportunity to be here this morning. They'd be saying, amen, praise the Lord, and hallelujah, run around the building. Because that's the difference between there and here. We are so engulfed in freedom that we don't realize what the rest of the world has to go through for what we enjoy. And we live in a world that can't see it either. <clears throat> so Jesus tells us there's two foundations, and the foundation we choose determines our ability of our structure to withstand the elements. It's the only thing that's going to withstand is the doing it Jesus' way. Some people think that hearing is the equivalent of doing, or hearing and agreeing with truth automatically means practicing the truth. Sounds, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's good. That's right. Amen. We always say, amen, okay, hallelujah. And then we go outside and do it, do what we want. Because we think that if we agree with it, that means that we've done it. And it isn't like that. We have to apply it to our life. Actions speak louder than words, especially as a believer. We can talk all we want, but does your life back up your mouth? 
If they held, uh, threw you in court to convict you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, we've heard that. Is there enough evidence to convict you for being a Christian? If there isn't, you need to start giving some. Now, I know we suffer a little bit of poor little abuse, and I know I went through it when I worked. People make fun of me. Oh, she's over there reading her Bible. You know, they're all reading their horoscope. And I'm saying, my horoscope says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a horoscope, ain't it? So they didn't like those because I read those out loud because they read their horoscopes. I might as well read mine, right? So they made fun of me and all the other kind of stuff. But as soon as they had a prayer request, hey, they're hunting me down. Father, would you pray for this? Okay, let's pray. See, you can do that when you're the boss. <laughs> so, and they're shocked about it. But they do. You know, they want to search your house. So let them make fun if you want. Doesn't make any difference when they have a problem. You're going to be the one they look for because they think you have an have a inside track. And you do. As believers, we have an inside track. These people that are name droppers, uh, I'm going to call the governor today and he will take my call. Well, I'm going to call God today and he will take my call. I'll raise your governor to God. That's it. I didn't get any higher than that. But that's what we need to do. Another thing we notice about this parable is that both builders were rained on. But there's too many people believe that when they become a believer that, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing. I'm going to have roses without any thorns. And life is going to be so beautiful. And it is. I'm not saying that it's not. But see, the problem is all of a sudden you change directions on the freeway. Now, if you're going down the freeway 80 miles an hour and you do a U-turn and start coming this way, what's going to happen? It's not going to be smooth. You're going to be trying not to hit people. Well, this happens when you become a believer. You went the opposite direction, and the people that you know will turn on you. You know, you don't need to worry about uh, changing your friends because they, I guarantee you, they will drop you like a rock. (laughs) They don't want to deal with your... Jesus thing, they used to say when I, got, when I finally got it here, or got it here instead of here, they didn't want to deal with my Jesus thing. They used to get mad at Randy. and say, oh, do you have to bring her with you when you come over? Her and her Jesus thing. But he brought me, and eventually they all got saved, so it worked out. But if I had backed down, would they, would they of course, God would find a way to, you know, to reach out to them. But God used me to be able to do it. Why? Because I was willing to be made fun of. It's okay. Let him make fun of me. It's a not, it doesn't hold candle what Jesus did for me. He was crucified on a cross in front of everybody. Stripped naked, hanging on a cross. I don't want to go through that. I've told many times God wants to, wants to paint me, strip me naked, paint me blue, and hang me in a tree. It's okay. And I do mean that. But I've got to make sure it's God. <laughs> and how do I know? It'll line up with that. So if something seems off the wall... Check it out. God's word will happen. But see, they don't think that it's going to have any storms that are going to happen. And when they do, they crumble because this isn't what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to have a good life. I'm supposed to have all this stuff going on. And once, ever since I became a Christian, man, the whole world got turned upside down. Good. You want to have that battle right off the bat. When you're still on fire for God, that moment, when hardly anything can phase you. Anyway. Usually it doesn't. When you first get saved, you remember that? When you first got saved? Thought, oh, come on, devil, where you at? Come on, I'm ready. Get your dukes up. Then he, then he punches you and you go, oh, I didn't mean it. 
So we need to understand that rain's going to happen. Storms are going to happen. The only difference is that when you have a problem, when you're a believer, you have someone to help you get through it. And when you're out in the world, you have nobody. You know, they say when you have lots of money, you have lots of friends. When you have nothing, you have no friends. You find out when your friends are when you're, when you're having a situation in your life. And that, when, as a believer, God will never reject you. He'll always be there for you. Sometimes not in our schedule, but he always shows up, doesn't he? He works it out. But we get impatient. God's never late, never early. He's always right on time. So <clears throat> now Jesus pictures these uh, rain, flood, and wind beat on us as a, we'll find out what a build, good builder we are. When the problems come, will we say true to God or will we turn our backs and God say, I ain't doing this anymore. This is too hard. And there are people that do that. But I say they truly work believer because one, I can't even imagine that in my life. You know, sure, I get upset and mad all that, like you do. I get every time you turn around, something else is happening. I mean, just the little simple things just turn to be major things. I had a, we're trying to renew our passports, and Randy filled out my application to renew my passport, and he forgot what year I was born. Yeah. So he did, and so he sent it, so they flagged it because it didn't match my old passport. It was off a year. So I had to do all this kind of stuff, jump through all these hoops, go get a new birth certificate and send it in. So I send it in, and it took about an extra month or two months or whatever it was. Then I get it back this weekend, and it's got a whole different birthday on it. They made me way older. He made me a year younger. They made me a year older. So I called them. So just little things. You seem like, man, I'm just so irritated with all this stuff. But it happens. If the devil can jab you with something, he's going to. But you need to get beyond that. Say, okay, God, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to let you work it out. Because the little things prepare you for the big things. And your little thing or your big thing may be different than mine. You may look at that and say, oh, you know, that's stupid to be upset over that. Well, yeah. And you may tell me something that you're going through, and I may think, that's stupid. Because what you think is, we are different. We're different. God uses different things to, to help uh, make us strong. And we, uh, Jesus wants to offer us the stability and eternal life when chosen as a foundation. That's what he wants to do. And, of course, the rock represents Christ. He's the, he's the foundation and the truth he had been preaching. He's preaching these truths all the way through these three chapters. And um, <clears throat> they ha- he's talking about those that haven't chose the right thing to build on. And they didn't really understand it to a certain degree, but he was giving them the examples. And the sand, their sand was self-righteousness. That's what they had. They thought, oh, I just do all this kind of stuff, and then I'm going to do like the Pharisees did. They did a lot of stuff. And they lived a better religion than we are. But they had it here and in, in show, but they didn't have it here. And that was a problem that Jesus had with them. And he's the same problem you have with us. If we're trying to do it for show, it's wrong. If we're trying to do it just because we're living a relationship, that's how we can do it. Now, hearing and knowing the teaching of Jesus are worthwhile only when applied. It doesn't do any good to say, oh, man, that was really a good message. Well, what did you get out of it? What did you apply to your life? If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get anything out of what Jesus said, and we don't apply it to our life, then we've wasted it. We've thrown it out and said, I'll do it my way, and add something else on the sand. So we need to listen to what he says. Now, the false prophets was a problem there. No matter what they looked like, 
It was a problem in his day. And the wide gate looked attractive, but it led to destruction. Judgment utterly destroys houses built on sand. Judgment will do that. And that's what we're going to build for eternity. Because one day we're all going to stand before God. We're either going to stand for him at the beam of judgment, which is a reward ceremony, or the great white throne judgment is uh, how bad is your punishment going to be. And if you're the white throne judgment, it's over. And what's the difference? The foundation. Is your faith in Christ or is it in yourself and the things that you do? That's the only deciding factor. And it's so simple to do. Now, we need to examine our life to make sure that we're built on the right stuff. A uh, heavy rain had stopped falling just before a man drove down a lonely road. As he rounded a curve, he saw an old farmer surveying the ruins of his barn. The driver stopped to ask what happened. Roof fell in, said the farmer. Leaked so long it just rotted clear through. Why didn't you fix it before it got so bad, asked the stranger. Well, sir, replied the farmer, I just never seemed to get around to it. When the weather was good, I didn't need to, and when it rained, it was too wet to work on it. That's kind of what we do with God, isn't it? We say, oh, I have plenty of time. I'll take care of this later on in my life. I want to enjoy my life, and then I'll get saved. You heard that? It's kind of a common thing because we think that God's going to interfere with our life, and we're not going to enjoy our life anymore. We're going to just turn into robots. Good, 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 good. Don't smile. I'm not going to smile. That isn't the way it is. I've had more fun as a believer than I ever had in the world. Because when I was in the world, I needed 12-ounce pull-ups. To have fun. You know? Like this. That's what it was. So we can either choose that and have a, have a false fun time, or when we choose God, we're, we're happy from the inside out. The world, in the world, we try to be happy from the outside in. That's why we're striving to get more money so we can have a bigger house, a better car. Because we're trying to find happiness in stuff. And the reality is when Jesus is on the inside, he provides the stuff we need, but we won't care as much about it. That's one thing I've noticed as I've gotten older. When I was younger, oh, man, I like new cars. We had a lot of new cars, you know. And, uh, but now it's not that big a deal. We, uh, the vehicles we have now, we've had longer than we've ever had cars. Of course, I have a 67 Mustang in the garage. It's in the garage, you know, that building there at the, by the house, that big outbuilding there, it's, it's still in there. It's got, more, it's got more miles on the trailer than it ever got on the ground, hauling it back and forth. Got all this stuff. All you got to do is just put it together. I've had that longer than anything, and I had people want to buy it. I said, first $12,000 gets it, you know. Be very interested. <laughs> One of these days, I threatened he's going to come home. It's going to be gone. It's going to be out of the shop, and somebody's going to put it together for me. <laughs> But we've had more things because it isn't as important to me. Man, that Mustang, when he first bought it for me and brought it home, man, I was really excited about it. Woo! I mean, it run everything. I mean, it was good. Just smoked a little bit. No big deal. Great. Four on the floor. Man, I'll tell you. That was a Mustang I liked. Like the 67 Fastback. I liked that year. So he got me one. And uh, instead of just licensing it, let me drive it, he just, you know, took it apart, went and bought all, spent all his money on parts, and still got the parts. But anyway... That stuff isn't as important when you get older. That's how you know when you're mature. That stuff isn't as important to you. Now, God provides. We, you know, we have nice, a nice vehicle, and when, if it runs and is dependable, it's nice. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> no matter how bad that car looks, if it gets you where you need to go, it's nice. 
Now, I know it's just as easy for God to give you a Cadillac as it is an old rusted-out Chevy. And he may do that. But if you're, if you're going to him for the Cadillac, you're going to miss the blessing. God wants to give us everything that we can that won't make us get a big head. And the problem is when we start getting stuff, we start thinking we did it. And that's when we get in trouble. God wants to do things for us if we'll just let him. Amen. All right. See, there's a, there's a punchline to it. <clears throat> so, um, and someday we say, I'll take care of those little sinful habits. Do we do that? Some of the things, oh, I know it's a little irritant, but, you know, one day I'll stop doing it. But that one day will never come, and the rains will come. <laughs> we need to do those things as God touches to our hearts. That's the same attitude that farmer had, because we need to correct the things in our life when we, don't, when we can because when the judgment comes, it's too hard to do it then. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We go strong by applying God's word to our lives and living out his word, letting him lead us and guide us from the inside out, not from the outside in. But we know there's certain things we need to do. I mean, you ask somebody on the street, they can tell you, a lot of things that are right and wrong, can't they? But when it gets into the little intricate things of life, then we need God. See, the problem that we have is we're letting unmoral people decide what's moral. That's why we're in a mess instead of God. When we, just, when we let God decide what was moral, we didn't have any problems. It's when we started going over here, and when we started going over here, then God's hands started lifting. And when God's hands started lifting, then we started having problems as a nation. The nation that serves God will stand. The nation that doesn't, God will tear them down or he will allow something to happen in that nation. Why? To get us to wake up. 9-11 was a terrible thing that happened, but it brought people to church. They thought, oh, man, the whole thing's going to end someday. I want to make sure I get into church. I, uh, it's very real. But then pretty soon they go, oh, well, I guess it wasn't that bad a deal. I didn't die. Nobody I knew died, so it ain't that big a deal. Oh, and we go see the movie about it and all that. Oh, that was a great, inspiring thing. But then we forget. That's the problem with we have in our life is we forget everything that God's done for us, don't we? We need to remember, and we need to do the things we need to do because we know what we need to do. We might not admit it, but we know we need. God knows it, and he writes it on our heart. Matthew 7, 24, excuse me, 28 and 29. When Jesus finished his saying, these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. After Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount message, they were amazed. Now, I've preached hundreds of sermons, hundreds and hundreds, whatever, and uh, no one has ever been amazed that I know of. If you've been amazed one time, let me know, will you? Give me a but nobody's ever amazed. But when he got through teaching this message, it was so loaded with stuff that they were amazed at it. Now, amazed was from the, from the uh, Greek word ekpleso, which means amazed, overwhelmed, or astonished. Now, we kind of put this in, a, uh, in our own today things about this happens when people just standing there like a mule looking at a new gate or deer in the headlights. You know, they're just standing there and go, they just can't manage. It's just something they've never heard before or something that just amazes them and it startles them and they're trying to process it because it's not something that they've heard before. <clears throat> Matthew seven twenty nine. 
because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. They compared Christ's teaching to what the Pharisees were teaching, and I'm not kidding you, it amazed them because it wasn't what they were teaching. See, the Pharisees had a, had a religion thing that they were trying to teach them. You do this. And they made up all these rules. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. So they figured out what was work. And they figured, well, you could walk this far on the Sabbath, but if you walked one step more, it was work, and you broke the Sabbath. Ridiculous stuff they took out of there. When we were in Israel, I'm kidding you, you do not want to get on a Sabbath elevator in Israel on the Sabbath because they program it to stop at every floor because the aesthetic Jews, they come to the hotels on the Sabbath so they won't have to do anything. And, they, and pushing the button on the elevator constitute work, so they won't do it. We were there eating dinner, and, and the ascetic Jew brought his little bottle of wine over to the, to the guy and said, open this, because opening it was work. But he carried it there and carried it back. <laughs> They're just stupid stuff that we think, man, what in the world? They get all that stuff out of there. They make things so complicated. No wonder people don't like religion. But Jesus said, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. That means that I'm going to have put instill in you what's right and what's wrong. And it's, you're going to think it's your choice, but it's not. It's mine. Because that's what God wants. And we can do that. I can do something if I think it's my opinion. Because after all, we always think we're right, don't we? Whether we're not. <laughs> but God wants to write them on our heart because when you write them on our heart, it sticks. And so they're sitting there, and he wrote all this stuff for them to understand, and they were just so amazed with the teaching. He taught with somebody that had authority, somebody that acted like he knew what he's talking about. And they were not used to that. They figured, here, I'm the one with the big flowing robe, and I'm the one that's so important. Listen to me. Ha-ha. No, he didn't like any of that. He said, I came to die for you so you can know me personally. Man, that's a great thing that we have offered to us. The Holy of Holies is open, and we can come into the Holy of Holies and talk to God. We don't need a priest to get us in there. He rent the, the veil between the Holy and the Holy of Holies and says, Come on in. I died for you so you can come in here. He, he sprinkled the blood, not on the mercy seat, but on our hearts to cleanse us. Amen. That's exciting to me. So we just need to say, All right, God, I want forgiveness. Forgive me for this. It's okay. God will do it. But let God convict us. <clears throat> but there was such a great contrast between the two. Now, if I asked you, stop you and say, hey, I want to see your ID. You'd say pound sand, wouldn't you? I ain't showing you nothing. Get out of here. But if I'm in a policeman's uniform and I ask you for an ID, you're going to comply, aren't you? Why? Because the policeman had the authority to ask you. I didn't. And that was the difference that they had during that time. Jesus spoke as a policeman, somebody that had an authority that they'd never heard before. Nobody's ever talked like this before. And it's amazing, when you talk with authority, people are going to listen to you. It's amazing. The famous uh, 18th century philosopher and skeptic David Hume's friend made fun of him because he went to church on Sundays to hear the Scottish minister John Brown preach. Defending himself, Hume replied, Well, I don't believe all that he says, but he believes it, and once a week I like to hear a man who believes what he says. If we believe what we're saying, people will take notice. 
because we speak with authority. The authority of the God lives within each one of us as a believer, and we have the authority that the world don't have. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He commanded each of us to do this, and he gave us the authority to do it. He says, well, now, wait a minute. You don't have to go alone. I'll go with you. Now, I don't want to go alone, but I'll go if he goes. Amen? And he gave us the authority, and we live like, where do you get the authority to do that? Right there. Know where you get this stuff from. Then you can talk with authority, and people are going to take notice of it because they're not used to hearing it. They're used to this can uh, message that people give. Well, I know this is the truth because blah, 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 and they rattle it off. And you can look in their eyes, and there's no life there. But I'll tell you, you get some authority, you get some God in your life, and you talk to somebody, and they're going to know that somebody's home because there's going to be authority there. And it isn't going to be you, it's going to be God speaking through you. I'm amazed sometimes I come home and I'll tell Randy about something that happened. I said, man, I'm amazed how God worked that out. He said all this stuff through me. I didn't have a clue. And I'm glad he does that, and he'll do it for you, too, if you let him. But don't ignore those situations. Do it, because he wants to uh, give you the authority. He wants you to help you feel strong and be able to do these kind of things. <clears throat> if we believe what we say, what we say will be believable. I tell you, you see all these, these uh, actors that I've seen for years on TV and in movies and that, and they make commercials. And it's kind of interesting. Man, I just hate it when these, these actors that you used to watch and you kind of looked up to to a certain degree, and now they're doing commercials. You know, why? Are they doing it because they believe in the product? I like to think they do, but usually they're just doing it for the money. If they believe in their product, it's easy to sell something. If you want to sell something, you've got to use it and you've got to believe in it. If you do, you can sell it. Well, guess what product we have? we got the best product there is, Christ, a relationship. And I'll tell you, it's the best news. It's the good news of the world is looking for. And we're just hiding it, oh, whatever. When we got the in-group, in so let God work through you. <clears throat> uh, Neil Biderman survived the ill-fated 1996 expedition in which eight climbers died on Mount Everest. Some of them paid $65,000 for a chance to scale the world's highest peak. In assessing what went wrong, Biedelman said, tragedies and disasters are not the result of a single decision, a single event, or a single mistake. They are a culmination of things in your life. Something happens and it becomes a catalyst for all the things you had at risk. On Everett's, that something was a raging blizzard. According to journalist Todd Burgess, if not for the storm, the climbers may have gotten away with taking so many risks. But the storm exposed their weakness. Spiritual indifference or disobedience can overwhelm us when the storm comes. When the storms come, it exposes our weakness. See, but the storms come and it exposes the weakness. Those are the weaknesses. It says, hey, when you're weak, I can be strong. It's okay to have weaknesses because God says, when you're weak, you'll come to me and I will give you the strength. So it's not, don't, don't be so hard on yourself about the weaknesses because if you're never wrong, you'll never know how strong God can make you. Let him do it through you, and it works out better. David McClasson said, Obedience to Christ won't eliminate the storms of life, but it does determine whether we stand or fall in the storm. That's what determines it. Obedience to him will not stop the storms of life from happening. Now, Jesus warns us about two responses to his sermon. And he had three, three metaphors, and I know we went through them, but I'm just going to kind of review them first. The first metaphor is two kinds of roads and gates. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. 
<clears throat> enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter in it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Uh, the second metaphor is two kinds of trees and fruit, Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do not pick people. Do not do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. How do you want to know whether a person is a believer or not? Look at their fruit. We aren't called to judge, except for the things he's out and out talks about, but we are to be fruit inspectors. We all, God gives us a fruit inspector license. That's how we know the people. Whether or not they're true is by their fruit. Now, if you go there and you see their life and everything's just all upheaval and they have nothing in their life, and yet they claim to be a believer, and yet they don't trust God for anything, and all they do is complain and gripe, moan, and whatever. What are you going to say? What are you going to think? Hey, you need to get some, get planted into the root. You need to get your fruit growing. Good fruit cannot grow from a bad tree. That's true. We know that. That's why Jesus used that metaphor. The third metaphor is two kinds of foundation and builders. Uh, Matthew 7, 24, 27. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the stream rose, and the wind blew and beat upon the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who heeds these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We had a flood that came through here a couple weeks ago, killed a lot of people. And it's bad when something so traumatic hits the national news. But it did hit the national news. I don't want to have that kind of stuff. But that showed the power of the rains and the storm. And if we don't have our, our lives built on a strong foundation, when the rains come, man, we're going to be swept away. Jesus did all this sermon, preached this all this sermon to get you to this point. Choose the right foundation. I'm the right foundation, he says. Hey, build your house on me. Build your life on me, and you will survive the storm. You won't avoid the storms, but you'll be able to survive them. And that's what we want to do. And then ultimately the end, judgment, we will avoid. Because Jesus took our punishment, so we don't have to worry about it. He says, attached to me. Next slide. The one hearing and obeying Jesus' words is wise. The one who doesn't is foolish. One good, one not so good. Wise disciples act on what they hear. Foolish disciples are complacent and do nothing. The obedient build an enduring house on rock. The passive build a doomed house on the sand. Jesus, us that we build, oh, Jesus tells us to build our life on the sands of time or on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. What are you building your life on? You building it on the sand? The sand of doing things your way? On the sifting sand? Because sand is very unstable. You know that? Sand is really unstable. It gets a little water in it and it just... Goes everywhere. God says, build it on the rock. The rock of my salvation. That's what he said to build it on. Where's your foundation at? Is it on what you can do or what on he did? 
I want to build my foundation on what he did, don't you? Let's pray. President Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and your blessing.